Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good morning. We have our Bible reading this morning from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 42. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. While they were travelling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for the book of Luke. We thank you for him and for his account of Jesus' life. Without it, we would be impoverished. There'd be things that we don't know. So we're grateful for him and for his book. And Father, we pray now as we come to look at this passage or these two passages, Father, that you would help us to understand what your word has to say and that each one of us in this room would perhaps even see Jesus a bit more clearly than we ever have before. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Sometimes we do things that just become second nature. We do things so much, so often, that it just becomes automatic. And this is a really helpful thing. If you can remember what it was like to first learn a complicated skill, maybe a a musical instrument, maybe you remember learning to drive a car, even handwriting, and everything is conscious. You know, you gotta gotta concentrate for everything. Everything required effort 
and you had to be deliberate. It was slow and awkward, but the more you did it, the more natural it became, the more fluid it was, and just became part of who you were. And then it, it just became unconscious and automatic. I don't know if you've had those moments where you're driving and you're not concentrating on driving as much, you're thinking about something else. And suddenly you kind of realize and you're like, where am I? And you're like, oh no, it's all fine. I'm on my way home, no problem. But I wasn't, you weren't thinking about it. You're thinking about, about something else and it all just happened automatically. Sometimes it's really good when things are just on autopilot automatically. It means you can do a whole lot more things all at once. But it's not always good when things are automatic or unconscious. Sometimes when it's more complicated things like that, when it's say like a relationship and you just treat it like it's on autopilot, like it's automatic, things don't always go as well. And a relationship that's on autopilot can morph into something toxic where it's just assumed and, it's, and you take people for granted and it's easy to fall into patterns where it's unhelpful, where we just behave or react on autopilot, automatically, unthinkingly. And that, that happens all the time. You can just keep turning up to the job, but your heart's not in it. You can keep playing the sport, but you just don't have the same love that you used to. You can be in this relationship, maybe in this marriage, and you just are going through the motions. You can even turn up to church, read your Bible, say your prayers, do the things, but it's just going through the motions. It's just automatic. It's just doing what you've always done and your heart's just not in it anymore. And it can just feel hollow and empty and superficial. And the solution to all of that isn't necessarily to quit and give up. The solution is to go back and rediscover why you started in the first place. It's to go back again and find the heart, find the love that you had at first, but somewhere along the way, somehow it kind of got lost. You go back to the beginning because for all of us, whether we're here and we've been following Jesus for ages or we've only been following him recently or re, we've only recently restarted or even if we're here and we haven't started yet, we're not really sure what we think about Jesus or what we're going to do with all this kind of Jesus stuff. For all of us, there's always a danger that we will slide into just doing what we've always done and going through the motions and forgetting why we even do any of the things that we do. And of all the things that we do here at our church, the one main central thing that we're on about is making disciples. And the Bible has lots to say, heaps and heaps to say about disciples and discipleship. So much, in fact, that it can be a bit overwhelming. It can be a bit intimidating. It says so many things. It's so broad, so much. And so the objective in this Vital Signs sermon series is to take all of that stuff and to condense it into the six things, six things over 10 weeks. And for some of us, this is going to be reminding us of things that we already know, but maybe we've forgotten and need to be reminded of again. And it might even for some of us be things that we've never seen before. 
And for others of us, this won't be familiar at all. You know, it'll be all new. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And this will be helpful for you to see what it means and what it looks like to follow him. And so here we are in week one and the heart of the whole thing, the place where we're going to start and in one sense, never move on from is Jesus himself. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And so our first vital sign of a disciple is to faithfully follow Jesus. And this week in particular, we're looking at to faithfully follow Jesus means to have Jesus at the center. So we're in Luke chapter 10, and this is a good time if you have your own Bible or tablet or phone, you might want to look it up for yourself. Luke chapter 10, and it starts in verse 25. Jesus has this encounter with a lawyer. And this lawyer, he's a smart man, he's a brilliant man. And the two are going to have a conversation that we get to listen into. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll be fine. Do this, how do I have eternal life? Do this and you'll have eternal life. Do this and you'll earn your way into heaven. Do this and you'll live. Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And I reckon most of the time when we hear stories like this from the, from the Bible, we think the guy, the lawyer, is a bad person. I mean, it does say in verse 25, he wanted to test Jesus. In verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. And so we think, how dare he? How dare he want to find a loophole and, and, and find a way to weasel out of this? What a baddie. What a baddie. See, but I, I don't think he's bad. I think he's normal. I think this guy just understands that the law is really difficult. But he's smart, you know, he knows. And so Jesus asks him, well, how, how do you read the law? And the lawyer guy, he's like, well, you can take the whole law, the whole 10 commandments, and you can narrow them down, boil them down into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. Do that and you'll live. You won't even need a savior. You'll be able to do it all by yourself. Do that and you'll live. And the lawyer He's like, yeah, but just, just a question, neighbor. I mean, it's so vague, so hard to tell, you know, it's so nebulous. I'd love to love a neighbor, but just if, if I could just find one, what is a Who is a neighbor? And I totally get where this guy's coming from because sometimes it's easier to love God than it is to love people. I don't know if you have it ever found that. People are hard. God, God is, is just and he's loving and he's kind and he's perfect and he's patient. 
He's easy to love. People can be really hard. So the guy's like, can we just check that there's no clause, there's no loophole that says if the person isn't nice or if they're mean or if they're a relative, that then we're off the hook, you know, and the contract is null and void. And so Jesus, classic Jesus, he says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. And what Jesus says here is quite possibly the most racially, socially charged story, parable that I think Jesus ever tells. Maybe the parable of the tenants might be up there, but I think this one is the most. This parable gets spicy in a hurry. Now, now remember, this story is told in response to a lawyer who is looking for a loophole, who wants the definition. If we're going to Supposed to love our neighbor, who or what exactly is a neighbor? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is a famous road. It's, it's not a very safe road, but it's a, it's a very famous road. Jesus, everyone who's listening to Jesus would know this Road. This man is a Jew. The audience is presumably Jewish. They know this road. Jerusalem to Jericho fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. Priests, these are the guys who ran the temple. These were the religious elites. And everyone who's hearing this thinks, oh good, the minister's arrived. At least he'll help this guy. But Jesus says, when he, the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side and he could not be bothered. He was too busy to help his fellow Jew. Now, just as a little aside, I love Jesus' language here. I love how he says, a priest happened to be going down the road, like Jesus believes in luck. By chance, a priest happened to be going. I love that. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite. So the priest is at the top of the religious hierarchy and the Levites are right there with him. The Levites help the priests run the temple. So that they were very respected. And so Jesus is like, well, the priest is gone, but luckily a Levite by chance happened to be walking down the road. When he arrived at the place and saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And at this point, Jesus' audience would be like, that's weird. What's wrong with those guys? And then verse 33 but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. Samaritans were the most hated people by the Jews. They were, a, they were a mixed breed. You talk about prejudice and racism. It was at a fever pitch when it came to the Samaritans. They weren't even worth eating with or doing business with. They should all just move away back to Samaria. They can stay there and die there. And so Jesus is like, and then guess what? 
a Samaritan arrived. And everyone's like, yeah, I know what he's going to do. He's probably going to spit on him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. A uh, a denarii is about a day's wages. Gave the guy two days wages and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Keep in mind that this man, this Jewish man that this guy is bandaging, hates this guy, despises this guy, wishes he was dead, wants nothing to do with him, and he's now expended three days worth of resources on this man. A day to get him to the inn, then two days there, and then whatever else it'll cost. And while Jesus is telling this story, everyone is horrified. What? A Samaritan? Huh? And then, after having told this crazy story, illogical, would never happen, Jesus turns to the lawyer. And this is classic, classic Jesus. You know, you ask him a question. He'll tell you a story, then he'll ask you a question. So he turns to the lawyer and he asks him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Isn't that interesting? The lawyer's question to Jesus was, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Jesus' question is, who proved to be a neighbor? It's completely different. Jesus says, it's not about who is your neighbor. It's that you need to be a neighbor. And so Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer replies, the one who showed mercy to him. Couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. The The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, and I love this, go and do the same. Just do that. Oh, you want to know what love your neighbor is? Just go do this. Go do exactly what the Good Samaritan did. So how do you get eternal life? Well, just fulfill all of the Ten Commandments all of the time. That's it. Do that and you'll live. Do that and you're good. You're good, bro. That's all. And by the way, When Jesus says, go and do the same, do that and live, he means do that all the time, every time, all day, every moment. Do that and you'll live. And we normally just stop there and think that this is a passage all about Jesus telling us to care for the poor and for our enemies. And I... just as an aside, I'm totally okay with us doing that. I'm totally okay with us caring for the poor. As long as we know, as long as we're absolutely sure that here in Luke chapter 10, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't actually telling us to go and do any of that. Because do you remember what the question was? The question was, what do I have to do 
to inherit eternal life? And the answer was, keep the law. Do this and you'll live. And what's the summary of the law? Love God and love your neighbour. And don't forget, loving your neighbour is actually really hard. Go and do the same. So how do I inherit eternal life? Just be perfect. That's all. That's all you have to do. That's Jesus' answer. Do this and you'll live. Go and do the same. Go and do likewise. And then that's it. The scene stops. And we don't know what then happens. What does the man do? What happens next? We don't know. Luke just cuts it off. The story just stops. And it's like, is this really Jesus' answer? Focus on being perfect, fulfill the law, be a good person, which you can't do? That's the answer? See, but I don't think we're supposed to stop there. I don't think Luke wants us to stop there. The story's not over. Because then we cut next into a living room and we're in the house of two of Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha. So it says, verse 38, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Martha's all indignant. She's expecting that Jesus will be like, "Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Hey, Mary, do something. But instead, Jesus is all like, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so just think about this. The last thing we hear is go and do the same. And in the very next scene, we're in a house and there's Martha doing something. Meanwhile, Mary is in the living room doing nothing. So we've gone from the Good Samaritan to Mary and Martha. Who looks most like the Good Samaritan out of Martha and Mary? It's not Mary She's not doing anything. It's like, Mary, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just with Jesus. It's like, yeah, well, that's great. Well, while you do that, the rest of us are going to be over here doing stuff, being productive. And so then Martha, the doer, comes to Jesus and is all like, Jesus, can you rebuke her? for not going and doing the same? Can you rebuke her for being all anti-Good Samaritan? And then the opposite happens. Jesus is like, nope. Mary is doing the one thing that's necessary in all of human life and human experience. She has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. And so I'm like, what? Like, what do you want from me, Jesus? I'm over here bandaging wounds. And now you tell me I'm supposed to be over there doing nothing. 
And so what, what preachers like me will often do is we will normally keep these two passages very separate. And we'll, because you know, it's too confusing. So we'll preach on the Good Samaritan, go and do the same. And then we'll preach Mary and Martha, don't do anything. And we just keep it like that, separate, because it's simple. But Luke puts them together. And he puts them next to each other, I think, to show us something. He does this for a reason. See, I don't think, I don't think Jesus is really saying to us, go and do the same. His point is, the law is not the answer. Being religious is not the answer. Being good is not the answer. There is no loophole and it's actually harder than you think it is. This lawyer doesn't have the capacity to love like this all day, every day, thousand percent of the time. No way, no chance, no way. And neither do you. And neither do I. I mean, I'm still trying to be nice to my kids all of the time, let alone mean people in the world. And Jesus is like, you want to be the whole neighbor thing? You want to love God and love your neighbor? Fulfill the law. Go and do that. Go love like that. That's what I mean. That's how you get eternal life. And so I say, but, but Jesus, I can't. I can't love like that. And he's all like, yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, but, but you just told me to do it. He's like, yeah, well, you could try, <laughs> it'd be a train wreck. It's like, yeah, but you just, uh, you just said, so I'm confused. What does he want from me? The reason why Jesus tells this story is to show the lawyer and to show us how impossible it is to do enough to earn eternal life. I don't think this is a passage where we should read it and go, I'm going to be the good Samaritan. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, good luck. So why does Luke do it like this? Why does he put these two next to each other like this? What does he want us to see? You know what I think it is? I think it's about Jesus. You know who I think the good Samaritan is? It's not me. It's not you. I think the good Samaritan is Jesus. He's the one who is marginalized, forgotten, belittled, berated, and yet when he comes to broken humanity that has been stripped and beaten and left for dead in the journey of life, and when the law walks by and cannot help, and when external religion and rules walks by and they're powerless to help you in your brokenness, here comes the good Samaritan who takes pity on you and has compassion for you and expends his resources and pays the price to bandage you and bring you to a safe place and cover the tab that you could never afford to pay. The one that we marginalized, the one that we belittled and berated and forgot about and excluded from our lives. The good Samaritan fulfills the law. I don't fulfill the law. 
You don't fulfill. We don't, we don't even come close. That's why this story is so ridiculous. Because who could do this? Who could love like this all day, every day, all the time, a thousand percent? And there's Jesus and he's like, well, I know a guy. Jesus says, go and do likewise, go and do the same. And we go, okay, I'll try. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the idea. Jesus says the way to get eternal life is to go fulfill the law. And we think the point of the story is go and do the same. No. Jesus doesn't want us to go and do the same. His point is there is no loophole. There are no exceptions. And it's much harder than you think it is. If the way to get eternal life is to love God and love people like this, then we've got no chance, no hope. It's over. You're not going to make it. That's why the next story is Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said, being with Jesus, learning from Jesus. Because the Christian life is not about doing so that you'll have eternal life. That's not how it works. And so as we start Vital Signs, the most important thing to know is that the way to have eternal life, the way to have a relationship with God, it's not about doing the vital signs. It's not about going to church and going to growth group and reading your Bible and saying your prayers and being nice to people and giving stuff to the poor people at Christmas and giving money to church and so that you'll be the good Samaritan, so that you'll go and do the same so that you'll fulfill the law and earn eternal life and earn God's favor on your life. No. You don't do those things so that you'll earn anything. We're not talking about vital signs so that you'll be the good Samaritan. You do those things because you're with the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one thing that is needed and Mary chose it. Vital signs, being a disciple, it's all about Jesus, being with Jesus, being in Jesus, having Jesus at the center of everything. That's why we're starting here. Discipleship is about Jesus before it's about you. You do these other things, you be these other things, these vital signs, you do all these things, you are all these things, not so that God will love you or accept you. That's not the way that it works. The first thing to know about being a disciple is that it's not about you. It's about Jesus first and foremost. It's Jesus at the center. It's not about striving to be the good Samaritan. It's about being with the good Samaritan. And it's only once you're with him do you then start to become like him? It's only once you're with him that you then go out and be and do. And it's only with him that the being and the doing makes any sense. And you go out and you be and you do 
not because you're trying to earn anything, but because you don't have to earn anything because Jesus has already earned it for you. Being a disciple does mean, will mean, doing certain things, being certain things, and not doing certain other things. But, but before we get too focused on what we need to do and what we need to be and any of that, before we get too focused on that, it's about following, faithfully following, but following Jesus. And we need to keep reminding ourselves that we're following him. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. She did the one thing that was necessary. She made the right choice and it would not be taken away from her. And if you want to make the right choice, if you want to do the one thing that's necessary, if you want to do the thing that will never be taken away from you, then the one thing you need to do above all else, the one thing that everything else will flow from is that you need to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he says. Following Jesus isn't about being the good Samaritan. Following Jesus is about being with the good Samaritan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for all that he has done. He is the good Samaritan. He fulfilled the law. Perfect. Loves people all the time, the way that people should be loved. And so, Father, we do pray for us that you would help each one of us in this room to look to him, that we would be with him, that we would sit at his feet, listening to his words, and that from there, by being with him, then we'd go and do the things. And Father, we pray this all in his name. Amen.